Boker Tov, everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. I am glad you are here. It is so uh, so much of a blessing to be with you this, this morning as we are getting ready to study the uh, Word of God. This is the fifth day of the week already. Can you believe it? The fifth day of the week. We are in Parsha Hukat Balak this week. And uh, we're going to be doing the fifth reading, which actually the fifth reading today comes from Parsha Balak. I just want to read this to you, though, from the Siddur. I was, I was davening Shakarit this morning, came across this uh, passage that I say almost every day. It's part of the uh, uh, blessing that is said after the blessing of the Torah. But I just uh, read it this morning. It struck me like that maybe some of you haven't heard it before. Uh, but this is what it says. These are the precepts whose fruits a person enjoys in this world, but whose principle remains intact for him in the world to come. They are the honor due father and mother, acts of kindness, early attendance at the house of study. We need to make teshuv on that. <clears throat> early attendance at the house of study. Not we, services are at 10.30. Early attendance at the house of study and evening hospitality guests, visiting the sick, providing for a bride, escorting the dead, absorption in prayer, bringing peace between man and his fellow and between man and his wife. The study of Torah is equivalent to them all. The study of Torah is equivalent to them all. So here we are studying Torah and not to say that we shouldn't do those misses. Obviously, we should. Services are at 1030. Um, <laughs> but just know that studying Torah is equivalent uh, to all. By the way, I want to say, speaking of Torah, a big, humongous, over-the-top, high-five, dance in the streets, Mazal Tov to uh, Sar Shalom Tulsa on the acquisition of their brand new Torah scroll. That is lovely. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It is. It came on the with the Yetz Chaim. It was, and I want to give a, a thank you to our good friend Avi and Rishon Letzion Israel, who uh, coordinated that, acquired the scroll, was shipped from the Holy Land all the way to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So uh, Mazal Tov. That is amazing. I also want to mention, because I just kind of, you know, my my days sometimes run together, and it just occurred to me uh, this week, of course, that um, this coming weekend, this Shabbat, in fact, is the 4th of July. And um, I think this is a particularly important uh, 4th of July season that we as Americans... Uh, need to be particularly uh, passionate about because we have forces of darkness in our country that hate our country with a passion and want to destroy it. The greatest country on earth, no offense to other countries, um, but country uh, America is unique and it's, uh, and it's freedom. I saw something on, um, on, on uh, the news last night, uh, did not surprise me at all. Uh, but it was as a poignant reminder of uh, what's really going on. It was a, 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 a small group of people. Um, they were part of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, and, you know, that whole, the whole conglomeration 
BLM, Antifa, whatever, that whole thing of people. And they were talking about how America just is terrible. And they were saying, uh, don't put on the red, white, and blue. Don't hoist the American flag for 4th of July because America is just so awful. And they were encouraging everybody to drape themselves, to display the uh, rainbow flag of uh, the LGBT uh, movement. Yeah, I know. You thought it was all about race relations. You thought this whole issue had to do with racial problems. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> no, uh, so it, <clears throat> it's not about that at all, actually. Um, so I, my response to that is, oh, snap. Um, normally I put out, you know, some banners and some flags, but you ain't ever seen uh, 4th of July this day like you about to see at my house. In fact, I got myself a, uh, American flag button up shirt. It's about to get real. You about to see some American like you ain't never seen no American uh, on this rabbi. So uh, uh, forget your little uh, rainbow flag. So anyway, even if you're in Canada, if you're in Canada, put up an American flag. I know it's Canada. God bless Canada. God bless Canada indeed. They uh, stormed the beaches of Normandy with us. Sword Beach and Juno Beach. I think Sword was Canada, right? You Canadians, am I right? Uh, was it Sword or Juno? Was the British Sword and the Canadians were Juno, or is it the other way around on D-Day? You tell me. I have forgotten. Um, so yeah, red, white, and blue, make it happen. And, uh, believe that, trust that, know that. I'm, I'm normally very passionately patriotic, but this week I'm going to be over the top. If I could get a... Uh, red, white, and blue uh, eagle suit, I'd wear it. Of course, it's hot here. I'd probably be sweating to death. But anyway, um, all right. Parasha Balach. I don't know. We haven't had a 4th of July on a Shabbat in a while. Uh, I think 2015 was the last time that that happened. And I and that was funny because, um, not that y'all care, but this is just a little bit of history. So back in those days, 2015, we were a little bit smaller than we are now, and we were we didn't have our own building. We were renting a place, and I, because it was a holiday weekend, I I didn't think anybody would be there. Uh, you know, I it just I didn't think anybody'd come, and um, I remember distinctly that that Shabbat we had like 35 visitors. It was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, I was like, wow. So that was great. So Baruch Hashem. Maybe so this week, right? And uh, 4th of July, let freedom ring. And isn't it interesting? I'm sure it's coincidence. Although there's nothing, no such thing as coincidence, of course. I'm, I'm kidding. That the uh, Sar Shalom Tulsa got their Torah scroll. Then the Torah is freedom. And they'll be able to use it for the first time on this Shabbat, which just happens to be the 4th of July, the celebration of, of freedom in our country. I think that's kind of cool. And so there's that. Brugashim. All right. Um, the fifth Aliyah. We are on page 859. And Parasha Bente Dos. And uh, let's see. That's chapter 22, verse 13. On page 859 in the Art School Chumash. For all of you out there who are not part of the Sephardim. 
And um, let's see. We're going to begin reading the fifth Aliyah here, so let's uh, take it away. It says, Balaam arose in the morning and said to the officers of Balak, Go to your land, for Adonai refuses to let me go with you. The officers of Moab arose and came to Balak and said, Balaam refused to go with us. Balak kept on sending officers more and higher ranking than these. They came to Balaam and said to him, So said Balak, son of Zippor, Do not refrain from going to me, for I shall honor you greatly in everything that you say to me I shall do. So go now and accurse this people for me. Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, If Balak will give me his household of silver and gold, I cannot transgress the word of Adonai, my God, to do anything great or small, small or great. And now you too stay here for the night, and I will know what more Adonai will speak with me. Now, this is a, one of those subtle little things. It reminds me of when Abraham was trying to buy the, the um, uh, cave of Machpelah. And the gentleman said to Abraham, oh, just, just, just take it. Abraham didn't want to take it. He wanted to buy it so it would be legally his. And uh, the man said, well, just take it. What, what's, what's 400 pieces of silver between me and you? That was a subtle way of giving him a exorbitant a price. Well, Balaam in the same way says, listen, I can't go with you because... God told me not to. Now, a normal prophet, once God said, a Jewish prophet, once God said, don't go, that's it. There's no going back and saying, hey, I know you said don't go last night, but I was wondering, like tonight, is it different? Now, so Balaam says, I can't go with you because God said don't go, and they showed up with more gifts. They had uh, they had brought some more boxes of um uh, you know, of, of different uh, types of gifts and so on, uh, more boxes of Cracker Jacks. And so he said, you know what? <laughs> i tell you what, uh, y'all stay the night, make yourself at home, get yourself a Coors Light, because um, the Gentiles don't know how to drink good beer. And let me go talk to, um, see what Hashem wants to, wants to uh, say tonight. Uh, why, this is interesting because it's kind of indicative of the underscore of Gentile thought, which is God could change. I know, it, the light just went off. I saw it happen, actually. I saw it happen in your brain. Did you, did you pick up on this? Balaam, the prophet, the, uh, the, the, the Gentile prophet, his theory was God could change. Whereas the Jewish idea is God doesn't change. So, um, it says here, uh, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men came to summon you, arise and go with them, but only the thing that I shall speak to you, that shall you do. Now, of course, Balaam goes, but this is problematic because there's an idea that God will allow you, if you persist, if you know what is right, but you want to do wrong, you know that something is against the Torah, explicitly against the Torah, but you don't care, you want to go against it, 
you know that the Torah is plain, don't do it, but you say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway, God will eventually allow you to go that way. And you'll think that he's approving of it, but it's not. He's just allowing you to do it so that he can fulfill his purposes through you. In this case, through your disobedience. This is what's scary about people who persist in in sinning in that um, uh, that they'll they're they're living in darkness, but they think they're living in the light. So it says here, Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his she donkey, and went to the officers of Moab. God's wrath flared because he was going, and an angel of Hashem stood at the road to impede him. He was riding on a she donkey. And the Shia men were with him. The she donkey saw the angel of Adonai standing on the road with his sword drawn in his hand. So the she donkey turned away from the road and went to the field. Then Balaam struck the she donkey to turn it back on the road. The angel of Hashem stood in the path of the vineyards, a fence on this side, a fence on that side. The she donkey saw the angel of Hashem pressed against the wall, and it pressed Balaam's leg against the wall, and he continued to strike it. The angel of Hashem went further and stood in a narrow place. Where there was no room to turn right or left, the she-donkey saw the angel of Hashem and crouched beneath Belam. Belam's anger flared and he struck the she-donkey with a staff. Hashem opened the mouth of the she-donkey and it said to Belam, What have I done to you that you struck me these three times? Belam said to the she-donkey, Because you mocked me, if only there was a sword in my hand, I would now have killed you. Uh, most people think to themselves, this is crazy. How come Balaam is just talking to his donkey? Doesn't he realize that his donkey is talking to him? I mean, this this should be like, gosh, there's a talking donkey. But I can relate because I have, uh, Shoshana and I have four dogs and a cat. And uh, our animals talk to us all the time. But I digress. It says, the she-donkey said to Balaam, am, am I not your she-donkey? that you have ridden all your life until this day? Have I been accustomed to do such a thing to you? And he said, no. Then Hashem uncovered Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of Hashem standing on the road with his sword drawn in his hand. He bowed his head and prostrated himself on his face. The angel of Hashem said to him, For what reason did you strike your she-donkey these three times? By the way, the angel of Hashem, whatever you see, the angel of Hashem, the angel of Hashem, is always the Mashiach. It's always the Mashiach. It's also Memtet, which is really the same thing. But you should just know that. Which is why the angel of Hashem always communicates in first person. It's also why when it, whenever, whenever somebody sees the angel of Hashem, they fall on their face and worship and prostrate themselves. And notice the angel never says, get up. I'm not God. Don't fall on your face before me. Since when are we supposed to fall on our face before an angel? Never is the answer. Um, In fact, angels, the scripture makes it clear, are sent to serve us, not the other way around. This is why angel worship is explicitly forbidden within Judaism, which is why when the Apostle Paul is talking about angelic worship, he cannot be talking about Judaism because Judaism expressly forbids worshiping angels, whereas Gentiles did worship angels. So when he's talking about 
don't go back to your former way of life and to include worshiping angels. He's talking about Gentiles who are being, who are being tempted by their family to leave Torah true Judaism and go back to the church. I mean, the Gentile way of life. So it says here, Bilam said to the angel of uh, Adonai, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing opposite me on the road. And now, if it is evil in your eyes, I shall return. The angel of Hashem said to Bilam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak to you, that shall you speak. So Bilam went with the officers of Balak. Balak heard that Bilam had come, and so he went out toward uh, him to the city of Moab which is on the border of Arnon, which is at the edge of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, Balak said to Balaam, Slika, did I not urgently send to you to summon you? Why did you not go to me? Am I not capable of honoring you? Balaam said to Balak, behold, now I've come to you. Uh, am I empowered to say anything? Whatever God puts in my mouth, that shall I speak. Now that's the end of the, end of the fifth, re- uh, fifth reading there. I want to share a couple of uh, insights. Let's see. Let's go back to Rabbi Monk right quick. And let's see. All the way back um, to the rock. Let's go back to the rock that Moses struck. There's just some things here that um, I wanted to share uh, that we have kind of didn't get a chance to come to. So this is what it says in Rabbi Monk's commentary. About the rock. It says, and speak to the rock before their eyes. So Targum Yonatan interprets this to mean, apply my great name to the rock. Now remember, go, I know we're, we've been talking about Belam and so on, but put that on pause for a moment. Let's go back to Parashah Hukat and talk about this rock for a moment. Remember the rock. The rock was not just any rock. Um... There was a the rock was actually the Mashiach, and uh, there was a there was a documentary that was done some time back. It was a good documentary, uh, finding the real Mount Sinai, very intriguing. Um, but I, I saw it, I don't know, a decade and a half ago, maybe or more than that. But in any case, they showed this rock, and they were like, "That's the rock. That seems to be the rock." Well, it wasn't the rock. Of course, it's not. Because, number one, the rock was not in a specific place. It was a rock, the rock, and that that rock followed us around the wilderness. And when we entered the Holy Land, uh, that rock uh, translated itself all the way to Galilee. And that's one of the reasons why the Mashiach came from Galilee, because the Mashiach is that well of Miriam. In fact, there was an article, I've mentioned this many times in the past, but there was an article in the Jerusalem Post that divers had found this very unusual large rock structure in the Sea of Galilee that seemed to... Geologic, geologically not match anything around. It was, in other words, it was a rock structure that didn't match any of the other rock structures or materials or what have you of anything. It was, seemed totally out of place. And the article actually said, could this be the well of Miriam? 
because everybody knows that, that that rock that followed us around the wilderness um, ended up in Galilee. Now, the Apostle Paul, again, we've spoken about him recently. He, he was a Pharisee. He believed in the Talmud, the oral uh, Torah. He, he, he believed in it and considered it legitimate, and there's many, many examples of that. In other words, Paul was a rabbinic Jew. Um, he, did, he was not solo scriptura by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and he, he confirmed this, this by saying that that rock followed us around the wilderness, and that rock was Mashiach. Now, what's interesting here is that you go back to Targum uh, Yonatan, and it, it says that when God said, speak to the rock, speak to it, that that means apply my great name to the rock. So now the rock is not just Mashiach, but the rock is actually Yudke Vavke. That Yudke Vavke has been put on the rock. You see? Um... Uh, Desiree asks, where can I read that this rock follows around? It's in the Midrash. Uh, it's also um, Talmudic writings as well, but it's in the Midrash Rabbah. Um, so, uh, among other places, in fact. Uh, but in any case, um, it says here, this implies a symbolic spiritual link to the establishment between the name of Adonai and the rock which is probably why you're not supposed to strike it. Uh, you're not supposed to strike it. Incidentally, there was a rabbi um, a while back that was talking about, he's, he was a, just an Orthodox rabbi, but he was talking about the sign that was put above Yeshua when he was on the execution stake. And it said, Yeshua of Nazareth, King of the Jews. His contention was, and I'm, I'm just going by what he said. I, I, I don't know one way or the other, because Hebrew is not my first language. My first language is French. My second language is English. Um, I'm just kidding. My first language is English. But anyway, um, he said that the way that that would have been written to make it proper in Hebrew is. Yeshua of Nazareth and the King of the Jews. So he puts a Vav, you know, Yeshua Nazari, Nazri, instead of saying Melech Yisrael, he would have said Ye Yeshua HaNazri Melech HaYisrael. Which means, if that's true, you take the first letter of, of those four words, Yeshua HaNazri Vemelech HaYisrael. And what do you get? yud Hey vav Hey. If that's true, and again, I, uh, Hebrew's not, I know, I, 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 I defer to an, uh, a native Hebrew scholar, speaker. Um, that's, that would be intriguing. So here it's saying that it was this link that gave the rock the potential... Now listen to this. I want to listen. Did Yeshua not say when he stood up, did he not say, I am the well of living water water? 
Now, some of you don't know this. Let me just share it real quickly. That happened on Hoshana Rabbah when he said that in John 7. Uh, he, that happened on Hoshana Rabbah of Sukkot. When everybody was circling the bema, excuse, excuse me, circling the altar seven times with great passion and great fervor, pouring out the water from the pool of Shiloah, and crying out, God save us now, God prosper us now. And it was a two-part prayer. One was a prayer for rain and abundant water to flow from heaven and, and water our crops. That's number one. Number two was a spiritual cry for salvation and prosperity. So <clears throat> Yeshua stands up in the middle of all this and cries out in a loud voice, I am that well of living water. I am, in other words, the pool of Shiloah. Out of and anybody who comes to me, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. If you're thirsty, come to me, right? He says all this kind of stuff. And it says right here that when Moshe said, or excuse me, when God said, speak to the rock, God was saying, apply Yudke Vavke, apply my great name to the rock. And it says here, it was this link, the application of the Yudke Vavke to the rock that gave the rock the potential to produce a miraculous outpouring of water. So had the rock not been, um, had divinity not been conferred on the rock, in other words, had the rock not been given the name Yudke Vavke, then it would not have had the power to have rivers of living water come out of it. Therefore, when we say to the Mashiach, you're nothing but a man, you don't have div divinity, you don't have Yudke Vavke, God forbid, then we necessarily remove from him the ability to have rivers of living water flow out. That's what's going on here. Not to mention the fact that the Midrash also says that when we see the Mashiach, we will call him by the name Yudke Vavke. But that, that's, that's an aside. Isn't that ironic that we'll be calling a man by the divine name? Um, so it says, indeed, of this same rock, Hashem has said 40 years before, behold, I shall stand before you by the rock. So now it's tying it back to Exodus 17, 6, where God said, by the way, you want to see my glory? Notice where God puts Moses in order to see God. He puts him in the rock. Now notice it says literally, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. That word cleft means a, a pierced out point. In other words, I'm going to put you in the piercing that is embedded in the rock so that you can see me. The only way in which we can truly see God is if we're standing in the piercing of the rock. Isn't that amazing? Um, 
goes on to say here. I like. I'm going to share this with you. I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to, I'm going to we'll come, maybe come back to Moses' sin. Maybe that does a good insight. But it's a little bit long. Maybe I'll be able to share that tomorrow. But I want to. Sh- I want to share this very uplifting um, story of how Moses came about to tell Aaron that he was going to die. It says the day of one's death is not usually known, and I would say for good reason. Uh, And it says, and Hashem does not usually reveal it. However, this is not always so for the righteous, according to Shabbat 30, verse 8. The Midrash gives a reason for this, to enable the righteous to transfer their duties to their children. Thus, Aaron handed his priestly garments over to his son, Eliezer. It says, the Midrash describes how it came about that Moshe told Aaron that the end of his days had come. Early one morning, Moshe called his brother and informed him that he had spent a sleepless night trying to understand a difficult passage in the Torah. He asked his brother to help him, adding that he had forgotten the exact place, but it was in Genesis. So they began reading the first chapter, and at the end of the description of each day's creation, Moses exclaimed, How beautiful and how wondrous is the creation of this day. When they came to the creation of man on the sixth day, Moshe remarked, I do not know what to say about this creation. How can I describe it knowing that man has brought death into the world? At this, Aaron replied, Far be it from us not to resign ourselves to the will of Hashem. Those words provided Moses with the opportunity he had been waiting for, to inform Aaron of his imminent death. In this way, Moses fulfilled the precept that no one is to part from another without speaking words of Torah, Barakot 31a. At the last moment, Moses asked Aaron to describe the experience of death, and this is how Aaron answered his brother. He said, I cannot speak of it. All I can say is that I would have wished to come to this place much sooner. From Yalkut 1.764. End of our Aliyah today. We are out of time, but we are by no means out of content. We will be back tomorrow for the 6th and 7th reading, God willing, and share a lot more insights and revelations and illuminations. Until then, everybody go out and buy your red, white, and blue bunting. Buy your little American flags and your big American flags. Buy your big old American flag hat and your American flag shirt. And just be obnoxiously American and patriotic this July 4th. And uh, let's uh, shout out to the world that we're proud to be Americans. America is a great place. It's not perfect, but who's perfect and where is perfect? Uh, if not, only in heaven. Uh, but we're proud to be Americans, and that's never going to change. And uh, there's that. So let's make it happen, right? Shalom Aleichem, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.